Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Sportsmore's Premier League preview podcast. I'm Barney Corkle. I'm here with Pascal Lemaire to talk about match day 12. Last weekend, Liverpool powered more misery on Mourinho to condemn Chelsea to a sixth league defeat of the season, while Sunderland returned to losing ways with a 6-2 drubbing at the hands of Everton. This weekend is the final match day before the international break and is headlined by the North London derby between Arsenal and Tottenham on Sunday. We begin at the Vitality Stadium, though, where two of the bottom four face off as Bournemouth host Newcastle. Pascal, will start with the home side. It's now seven without a win in all competitions after a 2-0 defeat Southampton last time out. Yeah, it was quite a big game for them. You know, it's only 30 miles between those two clubs. Quite a big South Coast derby. And they just started really slowly in the first half. You know, they didn't really create much. Southampton went in 2-0 up. Um, you know, they, both goals, you know, they worked it quite well down the left. The first one, Davis volleys it in, but it was a bit poor marking then. The second one, Pellers header. You know, just sort of out-jumped this stand there and... You know, Pell is a very athletic striker, you know, good in the air. Distan, I think he's the oldest outfield player in the whole of the Premier League this season. He's 37 years old and he just, he looked a bit, you know, off the pace there. And, yeah, for Bournemouth now, like you said, seven without a win. They're sitting there 17th in the table, just above the bottom three. You know, if they lose this one, because Newcastle, they're the team just below them, they'll then drop into the bottom three. So it's a big game for them, but certainly for Bournemouth, the form's not been great. You know, some pretty convincing defeats as well. It's not like they've really felt in the games at all. You know, in the second half against Southampton, they did have a lot of possession in the game there. They created the odd chance here and there, but... You know, without Wilson's pace up front and without Gradle as well, you know, they just, they've lacked that cutting edge up front. And at the moment, they really do look like a championship side playing in the Premier League. Yeah, and we've mentioned their attacking problems already with the injuries, as you mentioned, to Wilson. But defensively, they need to improve as well. I know they've got this style and Eddie Howe's good attacking, exciting football, but they need to tighten things up at the back. Only Sunderland have conceded more than them in the Premier League so far this season. And they've got the joint most goal difference in the league when, when you consider how tight relegation has been the last few years, goal difference could end up coming into it. So they need to improve improve in that sense at home as well when you look at teams trying to stay up you consider home form to be the most important thing if anything is going to keep them in the division it's, it's usually a, a relegation threat in teams home form that hasn't been the case for Bournemouth this season they've only won one of their five home games and that came against Sunderland they lost 5-1 in their last one five of their eight points so far have come at home in fairness to them so they are doing better at home than they are away but still not really good enough at home and considering the fixtures they've got coming up um, Newcastle this weekend they'll They'll fancy getting something out of it, but after that they've got Swansea, Everton, Chelsea and Manchester United in the next four, so it's not going to be easy for them coming up. They need to they need to find a way to start picking up results. If that takes a change of style from Eddie Howe, then that might be necessary. I know it's against his philosophy, but if it keeps them up, then it's going to be worth it. I think the thing with them is that, you know, how he does make his teams work really hard. You know, you look at every single Premier League match this year, they've actually covered more distance than their opponents in every game. So it's not for the want of trying, you know, they are really trying every game. They're obviously harrying their opponents, but maybe that's, you know, making them lose a bit of energy in the second half of games because two thirds of their goals have come in the first half an hour, which is the highest proportion out of any team to score in the first half an hour. So perhaps maybe they just need to... I don't know, sit back a bit more. If, if they, They're not going to have as much of the ball as, as some of the other teams in the league. Maybe they just need to maybe conserve their energy a bit in the start of games. They've got just a bit more at the end of games to maybe start scoring because they're not really scoring many second-half goals at all. And I think the problem with them is, I think certainly, with, I mean, they have been so unlucky with the injuries. So I think the thing with them, you know, they are out, outside the bottom three at the moment. I think between now 
and the January transfer window. I think they just need to sort of hang on, maybe say pick up uh, results in important games. I mean, this is a massive game for them, especially uh, with the international break coming. If they lose this, and then you mentioned those tough fixtures they've got after the international break, it could be really, really hard for them. So if they get three points here, maybe pick up the odd win here and there, keep themselves, you know, just maybe above the bottom three going into January, then they can maybe look at getting some key signings in that could really change their season. Because at the moment, I just think it's about hanging on for them and maybe trying to get to January and then sign some new players. As much as they are struggling at the moment, they're still above Newcastle mm. in the table. Newcastle themselves have had really big troubles at the start of this season. Only one win all season so far. Last time out, again, more promising signs. There have been a few more promising signs in recent weeks for McLaren's side. Nil-nil against Stoke last time out. And in fairness, they probably should have won that game. It took a man-of-the-match display from Jack Butler in, in Stoke's goal to keep them at bay. They played again quite well. They were encouraging signs for the Mitrovic hit the post. Obviously, came close, but... That getting that goal has proven to be problematic for them. They haven't scored in the last two now after hitting Norwich for six, obviously with Ron Aldham getting those four goals in that game. And it's six out of 11 games they failed to score in now, which is more than anyone else in the league. That's their, that's their big, big problem at the moment. They, as, we, as I mentioned, they've improved recently. At the start of the season, they weren't entirely convincing. McLaren said the, the big performance was coming. That eventually came against Norwich, but... Now they need to start turning those performances into goals and points because they're still in trouble. I can't really see them getting relegated this season. I think they've got a bit too much quality in their squad to do that. And they, they do play some decent stuff at time. Even in the uh, recent defeat to Sunderland in the derby, the first half, they were by far the better team until that uh, Colaccini red card. So there are promising signs, but they need to start turning that into points. Yeah, they do. You mentioned about sort of the goals there that you know they did score six in that game, but you know, they actually have got all, pretty much all of their attacking options fit at the moment. And we've talked about Bournemouth's injuries there, but Newcastle actually have the biggest injury list of anyone in the whole league. And they're missing a lot of key defenders. And that means that they've, they've also got a really poor defensive record this season. Only three teams conceded more. They've conceded 22 in 11 games. You know, that's obviously an average of two a game. So they need to shore up at the back. They, they are missing some key players at the back there. You know, the keeper crisis is the big one. You know, lost Tim Krull, Carl Darlow still out. So Rob Elliott's been playing and you know, that's obviously not helped and we talked about Bournemouth having those tough fixtures coming up and you look at Newcastle's games after the international break, they're really difficult as well. They've got Leicester who are obviously flying at the moment, they've got Crystal Palace who, you know, decent start to the season, then Liverpool and Spurs in the next four after this one. So this game really feels like a big one for both teams. You know, it's the last game before the international break and it's one that both sides will really fancy winning because they know the games do get tougher and for Newcastle, if they are going to get a win here, they'll need to, you know, it's going to have to improve their away record. They're without an away win in their last 12 Premier League away games, you know, and that's and losing 10 of those as well. So that's since January uh, when they beat Hull. So away from home, they have been terrible. Even that that win they did get against Norwich, you know, we we said it that that could have been any kind of result because Norwich, you know, it had probably as many chances as Newcastle, and they were just more clinical on the day. So for Newcastle, it's I think for both of these teams it's about a lot of things, you know. Newcastle, we've said that they need to be, you know, better in attack, but you know, both teams defensively have been poor this season as well. So, I think this game really feels like a massive one for both teams. And which way do you see it going? I think there will be goals in this one. You know, we've, we've discussed how both defenses have conceded a lot of goals this season, but I, I think, yeah, both sides would definitely go for it. I think, you know, they could be, you know, a really all-or-nothing game. But I'm going to sit on the fence and go for a two-two draw. It's an interesting battle between leaky defenses and struggling attacks, isn't it? So, for me, it's a really tough one to call. I, I could see Bournemouth. They might be able to raise their game. Be, you'd imagine they'd be up for it in, against the team just below them in the table at home as well. But Newcastle, they have been improving lately. I can, I think I'm going to side with Newcastle just about with this one. I wouldn't be surprised to see a draw, but I think I'm going to go for a Newcastle 1-0 victory. So we're going for one draw and then now a Newcastle win. From two struggling teams to two doing better than expected as Leicester hosts Watford. 
Barnes will start with the home side. Can anyone beat them after taking the lead? It's incredible, isn't it? The way they just build up this momentum after falling behind in every match. Ten points from losing positions now this season, which after 11 games is a fantastic statistic for them. Obviously, not so good that they keep falling behind, but the way they respond to that, usually in the second half as well, they just build up the momentum and they seem unstoppable. Vanier has really instilled that never-say-die attitude in them. They never believe that they're beaten and with the players they've got, they can they exploit that and they're, they're never going to give up the likes of Jamie Vardy, who I'm going to mention in a second after eight eight games in a row now he scored in a, uh, after the goal against West Brom where again they were forced to come from behind Rondon's header Schmeichel just couldn't keep it out of the front post but then the way they responded in the second half Mahrez who he started the season in fantastic scoring form went off the boil a little bit um, over the last month or so but back to his best with a couple of goals in, against West Brom which have been both decent finishes as well cushion volleys from good Mark Albright in crosses but it was all about the man of the moment Jamie Vardy again wasn't it another goal for him you just can't stop him scoring this one his final touch before shooting it looked like he'd taken it a bit far out wide a bit of a heavy touch but he still kept his composure tucked it right in the bottom corner left the keeper no chance and now he's in elite company with Daniel Sturridge and Ruth Van Nistel, the only other players to have scored in eight uh, games in a row so that's a fantastic record for him to have and no one really saw that coming from Jamie Vardy but he just seems unstoppable at the moment I would say the one perhaps minor concern for Leicester is that what happens if he and Mahrez go off the boil because they've been responsible for 18 of their 23 league goals so far this season but that doesn't really look like happening at the moment I think those concerns are some way off and you know that's a that's a bridge for Ranieri to cross if he ever comes to it but at the moment it's all looking good for Leicester all looking good for Vardy especially Yeah you mentioned that final touch he took in that goal against West Brom I actually thought you know he was sprinting you know he's a really quick player sprinting at pace and the way he was using both feet and that left foot touch I thought actually just took it away from the defender just enough for him to then finish I thought it was another we talked about his finish last week comparing him to Messi the way he flicked it over the keeper I thought that was another fantastic finish from him and like you say elite company now with those eight straight uh, you know he scored in eight straight games and you look at their league position now as well they're third you know 22 points only three behind Arsenal Man City at the top and we're not considering them title contenders for sure, but I think the thing we said after sort of you know five, six, seven games is that if they did drop off, you know they wouldn't be away from the relegation zone. I think now we can probably say unless they it goes drastically wrong for them, like you said, maybe if uh, Mahrez and Vardy go off the boil and and you know that, that none of the, none of the other players step up, they might go on a really bad run. But I think for the time being, you have to say they look pretty safe from any sort of relegation battle this year, and they should be targeting a top half finish, which considering where they were for most of last season is a fantastic achievement for Ranieri they've only lost one of 14 in all competitions under him you know only Spurs have you know lost as as few games as that this season so it's a tremendous record and you know uh, City as well they're the only team that scored more than Leicester this season 23 goals that they, they have been doing fantastically the one thing they need to do is do a bit better defensively you know that they did get the win last week 3-2 but did concede two more goals and they got the worst defense you know out, uh, outside the bottom six so you know that's one area they need to improve. They want to become, say, a top seven contender. But it's hard to criticise Leicester. I know from where they were last season and the fact they're sitting third in the Premier League after 11 games of the season. It's a tremendous achievement. Obviously, this form has spilled over from last season as well when they ended the campaign so well to escape relegation and stay in the division. And it's now one loss in the last nine home games, which is a fantastic record and the basis of their really good form. Obviously, with their style, they're going to be a threat away from home as well. But home is where you really pick up the majority of your points, and they've been doing that. In fact, only Arsenal and Chelsea have won here since. Have won at the King Power Stadium since February, which has stretched back a 13 games. When I mean, you're only losing to those elite company, then you're going to be picking up quite a few points along the way. What you, what you would say is there is tougher fixtures on the horizon. They got Watford this weekend and, and Newcastle the match after that, which 
two games you'd expect them to win in this sort of form and two games you'd expect Vardy probably to score and to equal Van Nistelrooy's record of 10 goals but then he comes up against Van Nistelrooy's former club Manchester United perhaps looking to break the record if he can score in those two games and then after United you've got Swansea, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool and Man City in your final six games of the year so it's, a, it's going to be a difficult end of the year if they're still in and around the top four come January it would be a fantastic achievement and certainly a great start to the season it's going to be tough for them but certainly the next couple of weeks they'll, they'll fancy their chance of staying in third perhaps even moving up because they'll fancy maximum points out of those two games yeah, You say they'll fancy maximum points but Watford come into this game they've won back-to-back games 2-0 they're sitting 11th now in the table and they certainly look the best equipped of the three promoted sides to be able to stay in the league this season both Bournemouth and Norwich really struggled in re- recent weeks but certainly for Watford it's been some fantastic results last weekend you know, they hosted West Ham and we know that West Ham usually much better on the road and that was probably arguably Watford's best performance of the season could be able to keep out that West Ham side with the likes of Paye who's been one of the standout players in the whole league so for them to do that it was Igalo again with the goals you know two goals in one of them looked like a Cresswell own goal but I think it was given to Igalo and certainly you know West Ham they had the best away record of anyone going into that game it was 13 out of 15 and you know we know who they're beating this season Arsenal, Liverpool, City away from home so for Watford to keep them out and win 2-0 fantastic from them and you know really good couple of wins they got because it was Stoke they beat the week before after Stoke I think they'd won four in a row going into that so two really really good wins for Watford and you have to say that defensively they've looked really sound you know they've got the best defence outside the top five they've only conceded 10 in 11 games so you have to say defensively they, they look solid in the last two games just scoring goals as well to eke out wins so really really impressive from Watford and you have to say Igalo is the man at the moment again Yeah I mentioned how important Mahrez and especially Vardy were for Leicester but Igalo has been just as important if not even more important for Watford he's got 7 of their 10 goals this season he's already the highest ever Premier League goal scorer after only playing 11 games in the league which are incredible incredible statistic really if he gets injured if he goes off the boil they're going to need someone to step up but just like Vardy just like Mahrez at the moment he's scoring goals for fun and his record in 2015 is phenomenal he's ended the championship season last season so well so all's going well for Carlo at the moment he is a minor doubt for this weekend I think he picked up a dead leg against West Ham but he should be fit to start and Watford really need him to start at the moment the form he's in the concern for Watford will be that lasting a distance their second half displays if matches ended at um, half time this season they'd actually be top of the league which is another incredible statistic they conceded nine of their ten goals this season in the second half which is something they need to improve upon but they've certainly done well for the newly promoted sides the best of the newly promoted sides away from home they've only lost one of five games all season and that was against Manchester City so they're doing well on that front as well unbeaten in the last three away games since August so again everything's looking positive for them two back-to-back wins as you mentioned they'll be feeling confident going into this game as well so two sides very high on confidence at the moment which way do you see it going I just can't back against Leicester at the moment the way they're going I can probably see Watford perhaps getting a goal because Leicester they've only kept one clean sheet all season but for me it's another Leicester victory I'm going to go for 2-1 2-1 yeah I completely agree with that I thought Potentially, I can't really see Watford winning this one. I mean, it would be some achievement if they do, but I think, like you said, the way Leicester are going at the moment and just the, the buzz around the club, the buzz around Vardy, I think it's hard to back against them, and I'm going to agree with 2-1 as well. So, both picking Leicester to win this one, 2-1. OK, from third place to fourth place, and it's Manchester United hosting West Bromwich Albion. Pascal will start with the home side. Winners in the Champions League in midweek, but drew 0-0 with Crystal Palace last time out in the Premier League. Yeah, that was three straight goalless draws as well for them, wasn't it? Really poor at the moment. They're just very boring inside at the moment. You know, not many goals. Not conceding many either, to be fair. But, you know, it's just really sort of 
Oh, you know, turgid at the moment, the way they're playing. Very, very boring. And like you say, that 0-0 draw, there wasn't really much in that game at all. The best chance that in the whole game was when uh, Balassi hit the bar screaming shot. That was so unlucky that came back off the bar. But, you know, the headline again was Rooney's poor performance. And I really do question, you know, Van Gaal's team selection when, you know, Martial came in, he was playing so, so well in that sort of central striker's role. And in recent Premier League games, you know, I know in midweek he changed formation, but in recent Premier League games, he's sure uh, shoved Martial out onto the left-hand side. And I don't really get it, to be honest, because Rooney, the stats this season... I mean, I know he did score in midweek, but the stats in the Premier League this season, he's, you know, he's playing a negative brand of football, a lot of sideways passes. He's he's not having any, he's not creating assists, not even creating chances for his teammates. I mean, we've highlighted enough times that he's playing badly, but you know, United stats, they've created the fewest chances, the most made the most backward, backwards passes and joint most sec, joint second most sideways passes as well. So. You just wonder, short that because that is Van Gaal's fault. You know, that's that's what he's asking his side to do. It's not like he's saying to them, you know, play maybe a few more risky passes, try and get some balls in behind. They're obviously, he's he must be convinced that he's got the players that will eventually break teams down. But it's just not happening at the moment because you know you've got players like Schweinsteiger who they get the ball and they're very you know very safe in the way they play their passes. He needs to sort that out and you know maybe change a formation like he did in midweek. But at the moment in the league, you know they are still sitting fourth, only four points behind the league leaders in fourth place. But performances on the pitch just haven't really been good enough. Yeah, you mentioned the midweek result. There's it was noticeable from the the crowd within two three minutes they were chanting attack attack attack. They want they want to see their team play attacking football as they did under Sir Alex Ferguson. But that hasn't been the case for the vast majority of the season. You mentioned Schweinsteiger there, obviously such an accomplished player, but. He is the main person who dictates the tempo of this match. And United, they so often have so much more possession than the opposition, but they, they very rarely look threatening in it. They haven't really looked threatening for the vast majority of the season in possession. Possession alone doesn't win you matches. You need, you need to pick up the tempo a bit. And Schweinsteiger, I think he needs to pick up that tempo a lot more than he has been doing. He's just been playing at too pedestrian a pace. There was... More, uh, more positive signs in midweek in the Champions League. Van Howard clearly told his side to go out, be more positive, and they responded to the crowd's uh, wills for them attack. Schweinsteiger in particular was a lot more positive. He played two up front, Rooney and Martial alongside each other. That seemed to work a little more. Martial didn't really get into the game, but Rooney was a bit more involved. He got obviously the goal. Should have wrapped the game up long before they actually did because they had many chances in the first half a few in the early stage of the second half as well but then again they could have fallen behind Sadu Dumbia's mm. fantastic chance for CSKA Moscow just before they actually scored the winning goal De Gea really good save and then Smalling a fantastic block on the line I would say Dumbia probably should have scored he needed to hit that higher in the net considering Ashley Young was already on the line and Smalling was coming across so not the best finish from Dumbia that could have been the ultimate smash and grab but there's no doubt Manchester United deserved to win that match they were on top for from start to finish CSKA offered very little going forward aside from that Dumbia chance so a lot more positive signs the first half in particular was probably the best I've seen United this season it was the most exciting I've seen them this season they wanted to get forward they were getting numbers in inside the box Marcos Rojo by the first five minutes of the second half I think at left back had had four attempts on goal which just goes to show the, the change in philosophy United employed in that first half it tailed off a little bit towards the second half it must be said and they need to carry it out for a full 90 minutes really to entertain their fans and ultimately they did only get the uh, the one goal so you look at that and think perhaps it wasn't the most exciting performance but it was certainly a step in the right direction defensively again another clean sheet they've they've got the best record in the Premier League now kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League with seven but it's at the other end where the main problems lie and fans need to see more from the team they certainly do but it was you know another win at home for them their home form has generally been pretty good this season they're unbeaten in all ten home games this season if you don't count you know the penalty shootout defeat to Middlesbrough in the League Cup which after 120 minutes it finished 0-0 and conceded only three goals at home it was in you know clean sheets in the 
the last three matches at home as well. So at home, they have been pretty solid. But like you say, it's just it's those calls for more attacking football. You know, the players are there, and in some games this season, they have shown it in glimpses. But overall, it hasn't been good enough. And certainly, maybe uh, you know this this might be a good game for Rooney to maybe get back to form because obviously that goal in midweek is going to be a confidence boost for him. You know, he had that he fluffed that chance, didn't he? Where it was in the six yard box, and he sort of got it caught under his feet. But it was good for him to get that goal. And his recent record record against West Brom is really good. He scored seven and assisted four in his last seven Premier League starts against them. So that's a great record. And uh, United, you know, you look at their their recent home record in the Premier League. It's one defeat in thirteen for them. But you know that defeat was at the hands of West Brom, who have got a really good record at Old Trafford in recent years. So, you know, the form book maybe points to Rooney getting back to form, and United uh, keep going well at home. But West Brom, they have been doing well there recently. Yeah, but they they didn't do well last time out against Leicester. They took the lead well enough through Rondon. Another goal for him. Another headed goal. They seem to be getting a lot of a lot of headed goals lately. West Brom at the moment, but they couldn't hold on to that. They're not going to be the they're not the first. They're not going to be the last team to succumb to a Leicester fight back. Another fantastic showing from Leicester with Mahrez getting two and Vardy unstoppable at the moment getting that one uh, that third goal. But then. Uh, Lambert getting the late penalty thought West Brom maybe get back into it maybe steal a point but never really looked like happening they probably didn't deserve anything out of the game in the end so it was, it's a disappointing result and to concede three goals especially at home as well for Tony Pulis side it's happened a couple a few times already this season which we're not really used to seeing they they had won consecutive Premier League games um, going into that match for the first time since September 2014 both with clean sheets both 1-0 so they were heading into that game in decent form which will make the the result even more disappointing. But you have to say Leicester have been in fantastic form. It wasn't the most surprising result, really. And Pulis, he won't be reading too much into that, I don't think. Yeah, but like you say, it's disappointing that in the three games at home this season where they've scored more than one, you know, they've scored two in each of those, they've lost every single one, 3-2 to Chelsea, Everton and Leicester last week. So that's something he has to sort out because maybe... You know, if he's if in in those games, if he's trying to get his players to play a bit more attacking football, they're obviously scoring the two goals, but they're leaking goals at the other end. So maybe they're sacrificing something, perhaps maybe leaving a few more spaces in midfield, maybe perhaps. But you know, that's something they've got to address. But away from home, they've been much better this season. Of their five Premier League away games, they've kept four clean sheets. Crystal Palace are the only team to score at home against West Brom, so that's good for them. And like I mentioned earlier, they have got a great record uh, in recent games against Manchester United. They've only lost one of their last five Premier League games against them, and one of their last two visits, visits to Old Trafford as well. So so that's a good sign for them, but even with all that, it's still a big ask for them to go and get anything at Old Trafford because United, you just feel like uh, that result on uh, Tuesday against CSKA might just give them a bit of a boost, uh, Rooney especially, because he's been really under fire from you know the media, the fans as well, and I think most people seem to think that maybe he needed to get dropped, but that goal in midweek might just buy him a bit more time, and West Brom might just hope that it's just a flash in the pan and that he, he'll be back to his sort of you know you know not so great best of late uh, on Saturday, but we'll have to wait and see. Which way do you see this one going? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to back United, I think. I don't think it'll be you know, a convincing win by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they should just have enough for West Brom and go 2 0. Yeah, I agree with Manchester United when they have been good at, um, at home recently. Be interesting to see if Van Hal again employs a more attacking style against West Brom, but even if he doesn't, I can see them grinding out a win here. I'm going to go for a 1 0 Manchester United win. So both going for Manchester United victories. On to Carrow Road, where Norwich are up against Swansea. Barnes come to you first on Swansea, sitting 13th in the table after that 3-0 defeat to Arsenal. Yeah, another disappointing result for them, wasn't it? First half was, was fairly even. Gomez, we're going to talk about a bit more a bit later, but he had that great chance, which he really should have scored one-on-one with the keeper. Didn't get that, and then Arsenal come with three second-half goals, put the game beyond them, and just a, a really disappointing result for them. The Koscielny the one was the big talking point. Should that have been allowed? Fabianski thought he got fouled, but 
even you've got to play to the whistle. The Swansea players, I would be really disappointed of them if I was Gary Monk. The way that they just stopped playing. Ki Sung Young, he had the chance to close the uh, the gap on the line, but he just stood there watching play go on because she only had a simple finish. For me, it could have gone either way. Maybe would have been a fairly soft foul, but you do usually see them given. So you could see why Gary Monk is perhaps aggrieved that it wasn't given. But his players have got to play to the whistle. That was really disappointing. And then obviously Campbell capping it off with his first goal for Arsenal. Monk after the match was quite annoyed about the penalty shout as well. The one against, I think it was Permod, Saka in the wall with a handball, which wasn't given again. I don't think that would have made a difference. It was going straight into the midriff of Giroud, the free kick was. So I'm not sure that would have made a difference. But you could argue perhaps they had a penalty. But overall, they didn't really deserve anything out of the game. They were comfortably beaten in the end. And it's now just one win in the last eight games in all competitions. And that came against Aston Villa. So after such a bright start to the season, such a good August people expecting them to push for a European place they just haven't fulfilled that uh, potential at the moment and they need to improve that Arsenal is obviously a tough game not too many people would have been expecting them to win that one but they might have been confident of getting something out of it considering the teams they've got points off so far this season so to lose 3-0 so convincingly is disappointing particularly on the back of such a poor run. Yeah, it's a quite different side, you know, at the moment to the one that was playing in August, isn't it? And you mentioned that Villa game there. That was their only away uh, win all season. And even then, you know, they had to come from behind against a side who were all over the place, you know, under Tim Sherwood there. So that wasn't exactly the most convincing. They needed a late winner in that game. And this game really feels like a big one for Swansea because Norwich, they're in bad form themselves. And Swansea should be able to go here quite confidently and that they should really be targeting a win, a win in this one because, like I said, their away form hasn't been good. And after this trip to Norwich, their next five away games are Liverpool, Man City, Crystal Palace, Manchester United, and Everton so really tough trips coming up sort of in the rest of November and then December so difficult games coming up for Swansea and you know they've dropped to 13th now and you know certainly the first month of the season they looked like they might be you know top seven contenders maybe even top six the way they were going but it doesn't look like that at the moment and they really need to sort of catch fire again because the way they're going they're getting dragged down closer and closer to the bottom three and it'd be a real surprise to see them in any kind of relegation scrap but the way they're going they need to you know sort, sort it out soon because it's been really poor. They had a number of key players really performing at the start of the season, didn't they? Which is why they made such a positive start to the season. Of those, you'd say Gomez has gone off the ball the most. He's been really disappointing. Hasn't even scored since the win over Manchester United back in August. I mentioned that missed chance against Arsenal, which he really should have scored at the start of the season. You really would have backed him to score that. But it's not like the chances aren't being created for him. Just Jefferson Montero, who also made such a good start to the season, he's spent a bit of time out injured, but he still had more crosses from open play and more dribbles than any other Premier League player. So the, the ball is going into the box. Gomez needs to attack it more than we don't know about the quality of all those crosses. Perhaps he hasn't had a chance, but Gomez has just been disappointing since such a positive start to the season and the problem for Swansea is they don't really have another option I wouldn't say Adair's good enough really to start at this level and be pushing for European football so Gomez is their best and only really starting option so they need him to catch fire again only four teams have scored fewer than their 12 goals in the league so far which tells you all the problem you need to know about um, their struggles recently so they need those forward players in particular Gomez to catch fire because the likes of Ayu, Montero, Sigurdsson they're doing okay they're not setting the world alight but they're doing okay Gomez is the one who needs to improve most yeah, and this, this game does offer him a decent chance to do that. They go to Carrow Road and Norwich lost five on the bounce in all competitions if you include their, their penalty shootout defeat. So it's a dreadful month for them. And last time out, they go to Man City and, you know, away at the league leaders. Never an easy game for them. And, you know, they did end up losing only to a late penalty. So it was a, it was a better performance. But even then, it's still another defeat for them. And, you know, the goal they conceded, the Otamendi goal, that was, you have to just say, that was a really good header from him. You know, perhaps they could have defended the set piece a bit better, but a great header. And then the goal they did score was a complete gift, wasn't it, from Joe Hart? You know, he was backpedalling on the line and you could see he was trying to, like, he was wary about going too far into his goal, but, you know, it was a terrible mistake and Cameron Jerome just gobbled it up. 
and then you know that was in the 83rd minute I think it was and then from there they just needed to be solid and they did the complete opposite a real gaffe of their own from John Ruddy sort of came out towards the ball then couldn't decide what to do and then you know he was out of position and then Russell Martin handballs on the way to the goal and he was sent off then and Yaya Torre stuck away the penalty so a better performance but more mistakes at the back there and another defeat for them like I said five on the lost five on the bounce in all competitions they're 16th now and they're very very close to being you know dropping into the bottom three now yeah they're only two points clear of the relegation zone and when you look at the fixtures they've got coming up they can't they won't be very optimistic of climbing too far ahead of that I wouldn't be surprised to see them drop into the relegation zone in the coming weeks they've got Chelsea Arsenal Everton Manchester United and Tottenham in five of their next six after this game and this isn't an easy game against Swansea okay Swansea they're not in the best form but they'd still fancy the chance of getting something out of the game so uh, worrying signs worrying times for Norwich at the moment as you mentioned it was a much improved performance against Man City and Alex Neil can take some uh uh, optimism out of that but the fact is only Sunderland have conce- Bournemouth and Sunderland have conceded more in the Premier League we mentioned they're languishing close to the um, bottom of the table and they've only won one of their five home games in the Premier League this season and that was against Bournemouth who as we know are struggling themselves so it is worrying signs for Norwich at the moment they need to improve quickly but with that run of fixtures coming up I can't see it coming in the next few weeks Two teams you know, in desperate need of a win here and in recent times this fixture's had a lot of goals there's been 25 goals in the six Premier League meetings between the two see goals again in this one? I do see goals it's a, it's a tough one to call with Norwich because they were better against Man City and as you say the, cha- uh, the league leaders needed that late penalty to, to get the victory so I can see them making a game of it but Swansea I, I, I do think they're going to come good again soon I'm going to go for a 2-1 away victory 2-1 yeah I, I fancy Swansea to win it as well I think it could be I'm actually don't think there will be too many goals in this one I think it's a big game for both clubs and I think it could be quite tight and I'm going to go for a 1-0 away win so both picking Swansea to win this one up to the stadium of light now we're at Sunderland taking on Southampton. Pascal, we've got to start with the home side. 6-2 drubbing at the hands of Everton last time out. Yeah, it leaves them 19th in the table. And certainly it wasn't necessarily the worst performance of the season, but just they had a really bad spell where they conceded 4 in 20 minutes after getting back to 2-2, which really did cost them. Because in the first half, they started quite well. Van Arnholt and Defoe, uh, no, uh, Adam Johnson both hit the post there. And both decent chances to them. They were so close to taking the lead there. But then, you know, the two goals they conceded in the first half, both really poor from a defensive point of view. You know, the first one, I don't know how Delafoe's got that much space. You know, he wasn't even out on the wing. He was quite central there and just completely unmarked. He ran through, cut inside, and Pantillamon, you know, he'll be, he'll be disappointed the way it went under him. But, you know, his goalkeeping for the second one was really poor, I thought. It was a, it was a nice move from Everson on the edge of the box. You know, Kone and Lukaku linking up. But the way Kone, he did well to sort of work the space. But Pantillamon, you know, he just went down and didn't even bother putting his arm up. You know, I was really—he maybe he was unsighted a little bit by the defender in front, but he just didn't really seem to go for it and just gave up on the shot. And you know, almost the moment it was hit, which I thought was quite an odd one. But you know, Sunderland, they did fight back there. You know, they got their goals through um, Defoe and Fletcher. The Defoe one was massive for them. I think it was the last kick of the half. You know, there's a little deflection, but he did well. You know, beat Stones to the ball. It was bad defending from Stones to allow Defoe to get in there, but he flicked it over one defender and then finished it. You know, into the corner. That was a good finish. And then obviously Fletcher getting them back to two-two. And you know, at that point, you thought they're back in the game. But then, like I said. They had that really bad spell. They conceded a few more goals. One of those an own goal from Coates, which you'd probably say he didn't really have too much. Well, he was obviously trying to clear. It's one of those where he felt he had to do something because Lukaku was right there to head it in. And I think the thing that teams have to do when they're playing Everton, Delafay, he loves doing those crosses where he sort of shapes as if he wants to run down the outside, but then he'll pick that gap, you know, inside the fullback, and then he'll hit that cross into that sort of corridor of uncertainty. There, he's done it a few times this season. I think defenses they need to be a bit wary of that and maybe try and just cut him off at the source a bit more. Don't give him too much space, but. 
As for Sunderland, like I said, they're sitting there 19th. And that game last week, you know, they did, they did so well, you know, in the first half with those chances then to get it back to 2-2. But the way they just folded after that is just a sign of a really struggling side. And especially the way they obviously won the time weird derby the week before and to not really follow that up and, you know, to lose 6-2 like that, really disappointing. They have had a lot of disappointing results this season. They are still in touch, only two points from safety. But we always come back to it is the defences that let them down so often. Worst defence in the league with 25 goals conceded in 11 games. We've actually conceded 32 in 13 games in all competitions so far this season only kept that one clean sheet in the uh, weird time derby against Newcastle Allardyce said after the match that they just need to sort out the defensive frailties and they do because too often this season, this season we've been talking about them conceding multiple goals mostly avoidable ones as well they just They've just been so poor defensively. I can't really remember a season where a team has made so many defensive errors or, or conceded so many avoidable goals at such an early stage of the season. It's just every single match they seem to concede one or two goals that should be avoided. They've allowed 69 shots on target in the league this season, which is more than any other team, which is obviously the root of the problem. They need to stop those shots, get into Pantilamon's goal. Pantilamon himself, as you said, has covered himself in glory as well. So, so much work to be done for Allardyce to tighten the side up at the back. That needs to be his priority, you know you're going to need goals to get out of the mire to, to win matches but it's got to start at the back because they haven't got the goals in the team to be outscoring opponents when they're conceding so many mm, I hope that returning to the stadium of light gives them a decent chance because you know five of their six points have come at home this season they drew with Swansea and West Ham you know both of those you know decent enough results and then obviously the win over Newcastle but like you said that one clean sheet they did have in that win over Newcastle it should never have been a clean sheet Newcastle you know were battering the door down in that first half couldn't quite get the goal and then you know, they got the penalty, but the red card, which has since been rescinded, that was obviously dubious and helped them in that game, clearly. So, you know, they were a bit lucky in their last home game, and Southampton is a tough one. And you look at their, their fixtures before, you know, you get to January when Allardyce is obviously going to... He's probably going to try and sign some players, you know, try and strengthen. I mean, defensively, they have to strengthen, like you said. But before the year is out, they've still got six of the current top ten to play. You know, before that's that's in their eight games before, you know, the turn of the year. So it's a really tough end to the year for them. And, you know, Southampton here, that's a really difficult game because Southampton have looked pretty good of late. But... The way Sunderland are going, it's hard to, like you said, defence. If you're going to allow that many shots on target, you know, it's, it's never going to go well for you. Pantillamon last season was kept them in a lot of games. He had some great games last season, but like I said, he hasn't quite done that this year. And at the moment, Sunderland, they really look there for the taking, I think, and they, they need a huge turnaround if they're going to avoid relegation. Yeah, and they're coming up against Southampton team unbeaten seven games in all competitions. Only lost twice in the league this season, which only Leicester and Tottenham have lost fewer games than them this season. So they're doing very well at the moment. It was an iffy start to the campaign, but they've certainly turned things around. They're moving in the right direction now. 2-0 against Bournemouth last time out. It was a it was a game of two halves, really, for them. They played very well in the in the first half, completely dominant. One-way traffic went in 2-0 up. Perhaps should have been more. Davis really nicely worked goal for, to open the score and then Pele showing his dominance in the air against Distan I think Distan should have been stronger but Pele take nothing away from the header it was a really good attacking header for him and kept up his fantastic record of scoring at home we always backed him to score in that match and he, he delivered and Tadic with the two assists two really good crosses for him as well so he uh, Pele, Tadic, Mane that front three really working well for Southampton at the moment things are certainly looking good Ronald Koeman said the first half was the best they've played so far this season so that's a positive sign a sign that they're moving in the right direction there will be a concern that the second half Bournemouth came very much back into the game and Wanyama's red card left Southampton hanging on towards the end of the match but 
the first half especially if they can play like that over the course of a 90 minutes then they'll fancy winning their chances more uh, winning their more, winning more games than they lose her. yeah I think with that Bournemouth game even though Bournemouth obviously did have loads more possession in the second half and Wanyama did get sent off they didn't really threaten that much I didn't think Southampton they always look confident at 2-0 if Bournemouth had nicked a goal then obviously it might have been a different story but they always look like they were cruising there and like you said unbeaten in seven games in all competitions they've won three of the last five including that win, that really good win at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea drawn with Liverpool and Leicester as well so they've had some difficult games to negotiate and then you know they'll go into this one away at Sunderland really confident of getting another win you know I think going into these two games, Bournemouth and Sunderland, Ronald Koeman would really have said, right, we need six out of six here. In the first half in that Bournemouth game, so it's the best they've played all season. So he'll hope they can continue that here. And look at where they're sitting in the table. Now they're seventh there, just four points off the top four. You know, Arsenal and City have sort of, you know, just moved a little bit ahead at the top there. But the rest of the teams there, you know, we've talked about United. They haven't looked all that convincing this season. We obviously know that the Chelsea are way down there and I think 15th they are. But Liverpool improving slightly. Spurs look all right. But I think... You know, there's a lot of teams, you know, Leicester still sitting up there in third. We expect them to drop away. But Southampton, seventh place at the moment. That's where they finished last season, of course. And if they can achieve another top seven finish, that would be a huge achievement for them. And, you know, certainly away from home, they've been very solid this year. They haven't actually lost away from home this season. They've only won one as well. They've drawn four of their five away games. But, you know, if you draw, say, you know, that, that ratio, as long as you get a lot of wins at home, it's, it does bode well for a good season. If they can just turn a few of those draws into a few more wins on the road, then they could really start to move up the table. Southampton did beat Sunderland 8-0 last season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was a St. Saint Mary's, but do you see another convincing win for the Saints here? I, I see them winning this game. I, I, I don't see 8-0, uh, but I think certainly they should win this game. And Yeah, I mean, Southampton, they look really solid defensively late, and I can't really see Sunderland scoring against them, to be honest. I'm going to go for another 2-0 Saints win. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It should be a fairly straightforward Southampton on Sunderland. Just can't see them keeping a clean sheet at the moment. And as you say, Southampton should be able to keep them at bay. So I'm going to agree with 2-0 there as, as well. So both going for fairly comfortable Southampton victories. The last of the 3pm kickoffs is at Upton Park with West Ham taking on Everton. Barnes will start with the visitors last time out. Big winners over Sunderland. Yeah, incredible game, wasn't it? 6-2 against Sunderland. I don't think many people saw that one. It, it being such a good game there at Goodison Park. But an important victory, first and foremost, other than the six goals, important three points. It's their first win in four games. Slightly iffy form going into the match. So to get that result, really good win. It wasn't the, the most convincing. It wasn't certainly as convincing as the scoreline would suggest. You know, Sunderland hit the woodwork twice before Everton took the lead. But... The, the way that the front players linked up will be really uh, positive for M- uh, Martinez to take from that match. Kone obviously getting the hat-trick is the big plus, but Lukaku linked up with him really well, got on the score sheet himself, pinged that fantastic cross with the outside of his foot over to Kone for his hat-trick goal. De La Feo, bright as well down the right-hand side, so a lot of positives to take out from the match, and obviously the six goals are the biggest of the lot. Fantastic to score six goals in a family game. Okay, Sunderland, their defending was pretty poor for a lot of the goals, and they, they could have done better, and Sunderland have been poor all season. Probably, arguably the worst team, along with Aston Villa in the league over the first 11 games of the season, but it's still a very big win and especially the way that they responded to 
for Sunderland to come back to two all and then the way Everton responded to then score four goals in 20 minutes, fantastic spell for them. All in all, just a completely positive result. Martinez called it the perfect display from his side in front of his own fans, which I'm not sure I'll go that far. They still conceded two goals, could have conceded more with those two hitting the, hitting the woodwork, like I mentioned earlier from Sunderland, but certainly it was a very pro uh, promising display and a, an important victory after some iffy form. I think the best thing for them was players like Kone and Delafay shining because I thought actually Barkley really didn't have a good game. You know, six goals for an in an Everton team where Barkley's playing quite far forward and he didn't actually have a direct hands in any of them. No goals or assists. So he was a bit off colour. And you know, their other young, you know, England star John Stones, he was really at fault for Defoe's goal, which gave, which was right on the stroke of half time there and just gave Sunderland that lift they needed to then go and obviously draw back to two. All. So you know, those two players, you'd probably say two Everton star players weren't actually at their best in that game. So for them to win six two with those two a bit off colour was actually really good for them and leaves them there. Ninth place, they're five points off the top four, and I think what they can't do now. We've talked about obviously the difficult fixtures they had, you know, in the last sort of two, three months. We've, we now know they've got easier games, you know, in the next couple of months or so. What they can't do is fall behind. They really need to push on and sort of, you know, get try and get up towards you know, the Leicesters, you know, who are doing really well up there, and try and you know keep pace with Spurs and Liverpool because those teams are really going to be pushing now, you know, to try and get that because it looks like there's a top four space open with Chelsea so far behind unless they you know go on a really good run so Everton what they can't do is fall away you know that they're doing okay in the league and through to the quarterfinals of the league cup as well and they got Middlesbrough in the next round which I know Middlesbrough away you know Middlesbrough you know they've beaten a lot of Premier League teams in recent years City last season in the FA Cup United this season in the league cup but it was a decent draw for Everton you've got to be honest it's still a championship side so if they can beat Everton there get through to the semi-finals you know we know Everton is 20 years now since they last won a trophy so it's a big thing for them that they are through to the quarterfinals and going okay in the league I think at the moment things look quite good for Everton You mentioned their, uh, their fixtures easing up obviously this one's not the most easy game of the lot but after this they got Aston Villa at home Aston Villa can't buy a win at the moment yet to see what happens under Remigard, the new manager, but they'll be confident of getting the win there. And then Bournemouth and Norwich both away, that's in three of their next four league games, so they'll be confident of picking up a lot more points. I think Bournemouth and Norwich both away is a key one as well because they've been decent away from home so far this season. Their only uh, loss on the road so far is against Arsenal, and we know how well they've been playing recently and how well they can play at home as well. Very tough team to beat at home and get anything off at home. So... For Everton's only defeat to be against them, 1-2 and drawn two of their other five away games so far this season. Things are certainly looking good on the road and as I say with Bournemouth and Norwich and Aston Villa, three of their next four league games, all of those languishing towards the wrong end of the table. They'll be confident of carrying, up, carrying on this push up the table up into the top half now in ninth place which after the tough start they had to the season is pretty good going for them. Yeah, I think they should be confident going to Upton Park because West Ham, we've discussed it enough times this season, that they tend to be better on the road than they do at home. And you know, they, West Ham don't come into this in the best form. You know, the last time out they lost 2-0 against Watford and that saw their uh, seven-match Premier League unbeaten run come to an end. So a disappointing day for them, you know, because going into that game, they had the best away record of anyone in the league, 13 out of 15 points. And for them to lose and not score, very disappointing. You know, the, the goals they conceded, certainly Billich will be angry, this first one especially. You know, Andy Carroll, who had a bit of a shocker all game, you know, came back into the starting lineup, didn't really do much up front, and then, you know, dilly dallied on the ball in the box. Uh, I think it was Nathan Aki that nicked it. He crossed, and then, you know, Cresswell was a bit slow at the back post, and Igalo was one that reacted quickest, managed to stick it in, and he obviously then got the second goal. And then James Collins lost his head at the end. I mean, it was a, I mean, a bit of a mad tackle. I know some people said it probably wasn't worthy of the red, but I thought, you know, the way he just kicked out like that it was one of those completely unnecessary ones, and you can see exactly in real time it just looked really, just you know, it just wasn't 
it wasn't a genuine tackle, it was more of a kick out at the player, so you can see why he was sent off. So he's obviously now out for this one. But I think one positive for West Ham might be that Diafra Sacco could be back for this game. You know, Andy Carroll, Enna Valencia, both. I know Carroll got the goal uh, against Chelsea, wasn't it? That was a you know, good header from him, but he looked a bit off colour last week. Enna Valencia hasn't looked quite the same player this season as when he was at his best at the start of last season. So if, if Sacco can come back, he's a bit more consistent for West Ham than the other two strikers. So if he's back for this one, that'd be a big boost for them. Yeah, it was such a huge disappointment disappointment losing to Watford in that game wasn't it because as you mentioned the teams they've beaten away from home this season they would have been pretty confident of getting the victory there but still they're only one point behind the top four it has been a fantastic start to the season now down to sixth but still only five off the leaders so they're, they're going very well Billich has done a fantastic job he want to bounce back quickly you need a response from his side not the easiest game to do it in in fact they've got Everton and Tottenham in the next two matches which should be a good te- uh, test tester for them over the next couple of weeks because if they want to get into that group of European challenges which they're probably capable of the way they've started the season the the, the team they've got and considering they're going to the Olympic Stadium next next season as well that's what the, the club's hierarchy want that's why they brought in Bilic got rid of Allardyce they want to make that next step up to the European levels these next two games against Everton and Tottenham should be a good experience for them and should be a good test of where they're at as a team They haven't won back-to-back matches at home since December last year, which is the big problem. They need to rectify that. We mentioned they're away from how good they've been on the the road, but they need to sort out their home form. They did beat Chelsea in their last game, which is obviously a big victory, but they need to back it up now with a victory against Everton, I think. Yeah, it should be a good game this one. Which way do you see it going? Yeah... West Ham, their home form, as as we mentioned, back-to-back wins they've struggled with, whereas Everton should be flying after that 6-2 Sunderland one. It's a really tough one to call, but I think I'm going to go for honours even to all. To all, yeah. I, I fancy a draw as well. I think it could be a bit tighter than that. I think West Ham, maybe just, they didn't look quite as threatening last week, so I think maybe this one might be a bit more low score, and I'm going to go one all. So, both see this one finishing in a draw. Moving on to Saturday's evening kick-off now, and it's Stoke versus Chelsea at the Britannia Stadium. Pascal, we'll start with the visitors. We're recording this before the Champions League match in midweek, but last time out, 3-1 defeat to Liverpool. Yeah, really disappointing for them because they just didn't really rise to the occasion in that match, did they? I know it's been, they've had some, so many poor results this season, but you know when they hosted Arsenal in that big game, I think it was in September, they, you know, they, really sort of, they did rise to the occasion in that one. They were helped with some red cards there, but I really thought they might have you know, just played a lot better than they did against Liverpool because Liverpool hardly a side high on confidence themselves. I know they've got new uh, Jurgen Klopp's their new manager, but he was still without a win going into that game. They'd had a few sort of, you know, quite unconvincing performances, hadn't they? So for him to, for, for Liverpool to dominate possession in that game, you know, they did look more threatening than Chelsea and especially as Chelsea took the lead in that one as well, you know, Ramirez with that header. So for them to not really push on from that, you know, the goal from Coutinho just before half-time was a bit, bit real killer for them because if they'd gone in, you know, with one with the 1-0 lead, then they might have done a bit better. But as it was, Coutinho was a great little sidestep from him, good little finish into the corner as well. So that gave Liverpool a lift and in the second half. They, they were the better side, really, Liverpool. You know, Benteke came off the bench, really improved the game for them. He scored Coutinho getting another goal as well. So... A really disappointing performance from Chelsea. That's three in a row. They've lost in all competitions now with that uh, penalty shootout defeat uh, to Stoke, obviously, last week as well. So, really, really disappointing. Like you mentioned, uh, we're recording this before that uh, Champions League game uh, later tonight. And if they lose that at home to Dynamo Kiev, or even say if they don't win that game, it would just be such a crushing blow. And uh, you wonder if Mourinho would, would be given more time after that. Yeah, because all the all the talk was, all the speculation was that he might be sacked if they lose to Liverpool. That hasn't been the case. There has been more speculation that he would be sacked if they lose to Dynamo Kiev, which appears unlikely given both sides' record, but you never know with Chelsea at the moment. It's not just the results that are so disappointing, it's the performances as well. Just the players 
Terry has been the last few seasons. He's made his career out of being in the right place. In his mind, he's a yard ahead of everyone else, even though he hasn't. He's never had the best pace. But he and Cahill, they just always seem to be a yard behind where they need to be at the moment. They always seem to be diving in to try and make a last-ditch block, and that's resulted in a couple of deflected goals. They got a couple of deflected goals against them against Liverpool as well. So that just wasn't happening last season. They were always in the right place. Not the case so far this season. And obviously, there's the whole circus going on around Mourinho at the moment. Aside from just the pure speculation over his future, which is is growing in intensity every single passing result, there's everything with Eva Carnario that's rumbling on behind the scenes still. All the FA charges, got a one-match stadium ban as well. So it's just it is a circus, a sideshow to what has been going on on the field. But ultimately, it is a results-based business and. You think how much longer has Mourinho got? I've heard rumours that it could cost a, as much as thirty million pounds to get rid of him. And when you weigh it up, as in that's a that's a top quality player to buy in the transfer window. Do you get rid of probably the best manager of the last ten years or buy a top quality player in the transfer window? That's a no-brainer. But it is a results-based business, and Mourinho's not getting that. There's reports that he's lost some of the dressing room reports coming out that one of the players would rather lose than win for Mourinho I'm not sure I entirely believe that Terry's come out and said they were 100% behind the manager but the way they're playing is certainly certainly not as though we're used to Mourinho um, sides playing we're used to their players absolutely loving him but that hasn't been the case already lost six league games from 11 um, matches this season he's never lost seven league games in the season before in his entire managerial career which you'd have to say that's going to happen this season now the way they're going can't we keep backing them to turn this thing around but it's not happening at the moment they're not performing well enough to do it they're not getting the results and against Liverpool the way they just sat back after taking the early lead that wouldn't have happened last season they would have gone on to win that match probably 2-0 as they, they did so often last season it's just so many things that need to be put right for Chelsea at the moment If they can you know, get a win you know, a big win over Dynamo Kiev and then you know, an impressive performance here against Stoke it put them in you know, better stead going into the international break and then you know, they come back after that and they've got the, you know, there's a lot of fixtures in November and December all together and if they can put together some sort of run that's really what they need to have any chance of maybe even getting into the top four the way they're going they're 15th in the table now 14 behind you know Man City and Arsenal at the top and 10 adrift of the top four it's the worst Premier League title defence ever you know it's now worse than Blackburn's uh, in 95-96 after they you know won the title in uh, 95 so really really poor like I said it's historically bad here you know Mourinho's never done this badly and well, if he does say lose this one it'd be the worst you know league performance ever in a season the worst Premier League title defence ever really really poor defensively you know more goals conceded last week three at home against Liverpool it's 22 and 11 now they've conceded that's obviously two a game and only Norwich Bournemouth and Sunderland who are you know below them in the table have let in more so 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 poor and like you said about Terry and Cahill they're just a bit you know a bit slow off the pace only Sunderland have, have allowed more shots on target than them and you know when you allow more shots on target you'll get those deflections and people might say you know it's bad luck that those deflections are going into the goal but if you were getting to the ball quicker and not letting those shots get away then you know that would stop that wouldn't it so it's poor there away from home they've only won two of their last 10 in all competitions they're not getting results away they're losing games at home as well this season just everything has been yeah like I said really poor for them and you know this is another tough game for them I think it's, it took them 28 games last season in the league to concede as many goals as they have this time around. And in all competitions, they've conceded 24. At the same stage last season, it was 12, so twice as many there. So it has been really disappointing. You mentioned shots on target there. I think last weekend that would have been a problem for uh, Stoke as well. Drew 0-0 in the end against Newcastle, but they're indebted to Jack Butler. Man of the match performance, not for the first time this season. He's had a fantastic season, but... The concern for Mark Hughes will be that he's he's too busy at the moment. He's made more saves than any other keeper in the Premier League. I think he's got a really bright future. I think if Joe Hart was four or five years older, then Butland would be having 
a good 10, 15 year spell in the England first team. The way he's playing at the moment, I'm quite surprised it's, it's taken this long for him to get a run in the first team in the Premier League. Obviously, Begovic was there before for Stoke, but Butland is really proving himself at the moment. He's one of the best shot stoppers in the league, I think, at the moment. The, the way he's performing, that performance against Newcastle to keep them at bay. Stoke really had no right to get anything out of that game, but it was just purely down to Butland. Got helped by the Woodburg with the Mitrovic header on one occasion as well, but purely down to the Woodburg. The problem would be at the other end, they haven't scored in the last two games against Watford and Newcastle. You'd probably expect them to get a goal against as well. And that was after four straight wins. They, so they've they've tailed off a bit after a really good run of form, but lowest scorers with nine and um, 11 in the league as well. So the problems are coming at the, um, um, at the business end of the field. But in terms of in goal, Butland for me has been the standout player so far this he season. He really has. And I think certainly Stokes' defence will be helped by the fact that Ryan Shawcross is back. That was his first league game against Newcastle last week. Obviously helped them to a clean sheet there. Like I say, Butland was probably the main reason for the clean sheet. But certainly having Shawcross back is a big boost to them because you know he came through all 90 minutes there at St James's Park. Looked fairly comfortable. And with Muniesa, he's definitely out. Jeff Cameron's a doubt for this one as well. Having Shawcross back is a big boost to them. And I think with Shawcross there, you know, Stoke maybe can try and target improving their home form because you know the last say four or five years in the Premier League, they've we always associate Stoke with a good, strong Premier League record at the Britannia Stadium. But this season, they've only won one of their five games at home, and that was against Bournemouth, who we know aren't the best team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. So they certainly need to improve that. They've not scored in three games at home, and certainly you look at their next home games coming up, sort of towards the end of the year. There's some really tough ones coming up. Chelsea here, who obviously isn't as tough as it would be say last season, but it's still a, it is still a difficult game. And then they've got Man City. And Man United that's three of the next four home games so some really tough tough matches coming up at home and you know if they can get just maybe a win or two in those ones then they'll hopefully you know they, they will have easier home games in the second half of the season so yeah but where they're sitting at the moment Stoke 14th against Chelsea 15th here it's quite you know a big game in the bottom half these two played each other as recently as last week in the League Cup. Stoke won on penalties on that occasion. Which way do you see this one going? Uh, I think it. Well, obviously that game finished as a draw before the penalty shootout, and I'm thinking I'm going to go for another draw here. I just the way Chelsea are going. I mean, unless they get a big win in midweek and confidence is really high, they might be able to get something. But the way they're going, I can't see them beating Stoke here. I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw. Yeah, I think midweek result might have a bearing on the match. If they get a big victory against Kiev, then might change my prediction. But I'm actually going to go for Stoke in this one. I think I've done back in Chelsea this season. I've backed them <laughs> most weeks to turn things around, but it doesn't look like happening. So I'm going to go for a one-nil Stoke victory. So not none of us see many goals in this one, but we're going for one Stoke victory and a draw. In the first of three matches on Sunday, it's bottom versus top as Aston Villa hosts Manchester City. Barnes will start with Villa. There's a new manager there with Remy Gard. Yeah, it's an interesting appointment, isn't it? He's the the one they seem to want. He was the one that was top of their list, it seemed, from the start. And they got him. Um, interesting appointment, I think. He's, he's got some experience of the Premier League, which should be important. He's got the, uh, he, had, he played with Arsenal towards the end of his playing career was linked to Arsenal as a director of football post uh, not too long ago, actually. So he does have experience of the English game. You'd think that he's pretty knowledgeable about, about the English game as well. But there are still question marks. He hasn't been a manager in England yet. He's only had one managerial post in his career. That was with Leon from 2011 to 2014, it was, which... He won the cup there. It was a decent spell, 51% win ratio during his time there, which is which is pretty good. It wasn't the Leon that we were used to seeing from the from 2000 to 2010 when they were winning the title almost every season. It seemed that was a golden period for them. But Leon, they're not traditionally one of the biggest teams in France, so it was always going to happen that they're going to go through a bit of a balance. Belgarb was in charge for a bit of that, but as I say, it wasn't the worst time in charge. This is a much tougher job for him. Uh, obviously, I mentioned this 51% win ratio. Aston Villa are going to be expecting a lot lower than that because they're not going to win as many games in the Premier League as uh, Leon did in their league. So 
it's a tough ask for him, it really is. He's taken over a team who've lost seven Premier League games on the bounce, lost nine of the last ten, one point since the opening day of the season. It's just it's a dreadful run of form. It needs to stop. You'd think with a new manager coming in, that might be the chance to help it happen, but whatever happens, it's going to be an uphill struggle for him, I think. Yeah, he was in the stands for their game on Monday night at Spurs, which they lost 3-1, like you say, another defeat there. And Certainly, they, they improved in the second half, but they wouldn't, it was always going to be tough to come back after you know conceding two in the first half. You know, The first goal that Dembele scored, he, he was allowed too easily to get into the box and then squeeze the shot under Guzan. Goalkeeper shouldn't be conceding from that tight an angle. And then a half-clear ball right at the end of the half, which is a real killer blow. And Deli Ali, he stuck it in. It was a good little touch and finish, to be fair to him. And after half-time, Ayu and Hill came on. And they impressed me, those two players, actually. They, they really did inject some life into the game because first half for Villa was really poor. And I mean, Gabi Agbono... Agbon only had eight first half touches, didn't he? Which is just shockingly bad. Lowest of any player this season. Two of those were kick off as well. So you know, he was barely in the game. But those two players, Ayu and Hill, really came on, did make a difference. It was Ayu who got the goal 2 1 there. And it was they got lucky with the deflection, you know, but that's you know, they maybe needed that luck because they weren't really doing much else in the game and they, they, they sort of threatened a tiny bit like they might get the second, but then Spurs killed it off uh, with Harry Kane getting the goal there. So you know, it was always going to be a tough ask. Spurs, they're unbeaten since the opening day, but there was a few positive signs with those two players. I wouldn't be surprised if they come and start the next game now, which is obviously Gard's first proper game in charge. It's certainly a difficult start for Gard, isn't it? He couldn't have wished for the tougher opponents. The league leaders, Manchester City. The big hope, probably the only hope for Villa in this match, is that the players tend to raise their games under a new manager. You know, you've got players who perhaps didn't get much of a look in under Sherwood, wanting to prove to the new man that they deserve a place in the starting 11. Players who were in the starting 11 under Sherwood. Uh, trying to keep hold of their jobs and prove that they deserve to carry on in the side. So you do usually get a reaction, but as I mentioned, it's going to be a tough tough one against Manchester City. They would have preferred his first game in charge to come against a team probably around them in the table that they might fancy their chances of beating. But if they get anything out of this game going into the national break, it's going to be a huge bonus for them, even with the expected raise, um, raising level of a performance that usually comes with a new manager. Even after the international break, they've then got Everton away from home, which is a very, very tough match. They wouldn't, probably wouldn't be expecting much out of that. So it's a tough start for Guard. After that, they've got Watford at home. Probably of the, his first three fixtures, you'd say that's the one he'd earmark as the first to get a victory out of. But even then, Watford are doing well. They're in decent form at the moment. So that's not going to be an easy game. Certainly not an easy start for Guard. It's not going to be an easy season for him, to be honest. It's not. No, I think he'll hope that City are in the kind of similar sort of form they were last weekend. They hosted Norwich and they weren't at their best City in that game by any stretch of the imagination. They came through 2-1 in the end. It could have been 3-1. Collar missed the late penalty. But you know, City certainly weren't at their best. You know, They took the lead. Uh, Otamendi, it was a great header from him. I think it was his first City goal. Really powered it in. But then... Joe Hart with a, you know one of the worst mistakes I've seen from a goalkeeper in a long time. You know it wasn't like he was that off balance. He just lost the lost the grip on the ball, gifted it to Cameron Jerome. He stuck it away. That's the 83rd minute, and you think Norwich may maybe get a draw out of this one. But then at the other end, you know fellow sort of England goalkeeper John Ruddy, he made a you know poor mistake as well. You know lost his way in the box. Uh, then Russell Martin uses clearly used his arm to block the shot, gifted them a penalty. Yaya Torres stuck it away. I think he scored all nine of his Premier League penalties, so he's good from the spot there. But they weren't their best there, but then in midweek on Tuesday, they were pretty good uh, away at Sevilla in the Champions League, secured their uh, spot in the last 16 with a 3-1 win there. First English team to win in that stadium, so quite an impressive feat. And they had good performances from players who been on the fringes a bit. Fernandinho got a goal. Jesus Navas had one of his best games for City as well, actually. So for them to do that, they're already qualified, which is quite impressive considering where they were. You know, they lost Juventus in their first game, but for them to then, you know, win all three against uh, Mönchengladbach and then Sevilla twice, I won't say they were most convincing, you know, in some of those games, but three wins out of three, qualified now, along with the likes of Real Madrid through to the last 16. So that's good for them. Yeah, they have struggled in Europe recently, haven't they, in, over the past few years. So they seem to finally be starting to get the hang of it, which will be important 
remains to be seen again if there's any European hangover going into this weekend's match but they come into it in great form unbeaten in eight games they've, in all competitions they've won seven of those games the one concern for that probably would be that they've only kept one clean sheet in that unbeaten run and that was the only game that they didn't win that was the goalless draw against uh, Manchester United in the derby which let's be honest there wasn't the most inspiring match was it? it was a pretty poor game from both sides and City were probably second best out of the two teams in that one as well so that would be a concern for Pellegrini that they're not keeping clean sheets and especially with the likes of Aguero on the sideline still they can't always rely on them to outscore opponents because they're missing their best striker their, their most potent striker they obviously have still got goals through the likes of Bonnie and Kevin De Bruyne Sterling made a, De Bruyne in particular made a fantastic start to his City career but they can't keep relying on them to outscore opponents especially without Aguero on the field but as things stand they're still top of the table ahead of Arsenal on goal difference so Things are looking good for City at the moment. Yeah, they are. David Silva has read that he could be back this weekend, but it's unlikely, I think, that Pellegrini would risk him, don't you think? Because you think surely City, they'd be confident beating Villa in this game, even with a new manager. So I'd be surprised if Silva starts. Maybe he'd be back, be back on the bench for this one, but which way do you see this one going? Yeah, I don't see this as being as big a banker as it might have been, perhaps with Villa under Tim Sherwood or perhaps with Villa under no manager, but... I could, it's still hard to see Villa getting anything out of the game, isn't it? The way they're performing, the way, the way City are performing, I can see a, a relatively comfortable City win. Not a blowout, but I can see probably a 3-1 City win. 3-1, yeah, I completely agree with that. Actually. I fancy City to get at least two goals in this one. And I think I think Villa might nick one here and there, like you say, because City haven't been keeping many clean sheets of late, but I fancy them to win 3-1 as well. So both back in, back in the visitors to win this one 3-1. OK, to North London now for the derby between Arsenal and Tottenham at the Emirates Stadium. Pascal, the biggest game of the weekend. We're recording this before Arsenal take on Bayern Munich in the Champions League, but in the last league outing, 3-0 winners against Swansea. Yeah, really impressive win there, because I know Swansea aren't in the best form at the moment, but it's still a tough place to go, and for them to play in the second half the way they did, it was goalless at half-time, quite a tight game, and for them to just blow Swansea away, 3-0 winners, very convincing in the end. That obviously keeps them you know, level with City at the top of the table there. And it was, yeah, like I say, a really good second-half performance, because in the first half, they could have easily been behind. You know, Gomez had that one really good chance where he went through on goal, and you could just see he was a striker, really low on confidence. Most strikers there would have just planted it past check. You know, he had the whole goal to aim at, basically, you know, very central position, quite an easy position, but he tried to go around the keeper and then claimed for a penalty. There was a bit of contact there, but he knocked it quite a long way past. There was a defender coming around to cover, and you just that, that was never going to be a penalty. But after half-time, Giroud getting another goal. He's really you know, doing well in the team at the moment, and then Koscielny as well. That was the contentious one that put Arsenal two in front. You know, you can see Gary Monkey was annoyed there with the way that he thought Fabianski was obstructed, but... There wasn't too much in it. Swansea's players, they just they stopped playing. Then Koscielny was just, you know, he was alive to where the ball was. He stuck it in. Good goal for him. Then Joel Campbell as well, getting his first Premier League goal as well. Really important moment for him because he's come into the team. They've obviously got a lot of injuries at the moment. He's he's come into the team. Had a bright bright moments here and there. And it was certainly, I think it flattered Arsenal a bit, the 3-0 scoreline. Because Swansea, they could have had a penalty in the first half as well, of course, because... Um, uh, Pair Mertesacker, you know, it was a free kick. He was ten yards away, and he did clearly, you know, bring up his arm. I mean, it, it, I think he was going on to hit an Arsenal player anyway, but he did bring up his arm and use his arm to block the ball. So I thought personally it was a penalty because there was no need to do what uh, Mertesacker did there. But it was another good performance for them. Özil was one of the standout players as well. He's got two assists now, and that's nine for the season. That's more than anyone else in Europe's top five league. So he's coming back into form because um, last season in the Champions League, I think it was the Olympiacos game. He had an absolute stinker in that game. Really, really disappointing performance. But he has been better in recent games and yeah it was a decent win for them and they're now on five straight in the league which is a fantastic record kept them kept the pace up with Manchester City and they're certainly looking a lot more like a side who might be able to build a title challenge than perhaps in recent seasons they've done it with a lot of injuries which we're going to talk about in a bit as well which is even more impressive but since the defeat to Chelsea in September which even that one they ended that game with nine men so they can point to uh, 
the two sendings off was the reason behind that one. But since then, they've been perfect record in the league. Uh, scored 16 goals and crucially been keeping them out at the other end. We mentioned before the season even began how important Czech could be for the side, how many points he could save for them. And he's keeping a lot of clean sheets at the moment. Eight goals in 11 goals they conceded. It's the joint best in the league with United. Only conceded nine in the last 18 Premier League home games as well, which is a very impressive record. They don't often concede goals at the Emirates Stadium. And with Czech in goal as well now, ahead of Chesney, who's obviously gone off to Roma now. But with Czech in goal, that, that record's only going to improve because he's obviously started the season in rather shaky fashion in his first game. He made those those two errors, but he's been in much better form recently and certainly starting to look like the player we expected he'd be for Arsenal. And with him in goal, I wouldn't put it past them to put in their most concerted title challenge for a while. Yeah, I think the one thing with Czech is that they can't lose him to injury. They've already got so many players injured. I mean, only Newcastle have got a bigger injury list than them. And you look at the players that are out at the moment, you've got Welbeck, Rosicki, Wilshere, Walcott, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Ospina, Ramsey, Arteta. You know, a lot of those players, you know, would start or at least play a part in most games for Arsenal. And then Bellerin, uh, going into the Bayern game in midweek, he had to put out with an injury. So he's now a doubt for the weekend. And Bellerin's been one of Arsenal's best players this season. Very, very consistent at right back. So now there's going to be a lot of pressure on Debussy there or if it's Chambers who plays. But just with those injury lists, you just wonder... I mean, if Arsenal can keep going the way they're going with all these players injured, you know, I mean, Wilshere, he, he never, uh, you know, can have a run at the team. Welbeck, I don't think he'll come back and start. He should come back, I think it's next month or around the new year, but he'll be a good impact player off the bench. And, you know, without Walcott, Oxlade, Chamberlain, like I said, Campbell's come in, and that was so important, I think, for Campbell to get that goal because if he hadn't scored and, you know, he was, there's a lot of pressure on Campbell because, you know, with Walcott and Oxlade, Chamberlain out and Ramsey as well, this. They're all players that Wenger usually plays a lot of the time and Campbell really has to step up. But that goal should give him you know, a lot of confidence coming into this game. And yeah, I mean, it, it, once Arsenal, we've, we've talked about how good their form is with all these injuries. If all these players come back and say Arsenal don't have their traditional you know, February slump and they can just you know, stay, keep pace with City. And if these players begin to you know, get back fit and they've got a fully fit squad, like you said, this could be maybe Arsenal's year. As we mentioned, we're filming this before the Bayern Munich game, but they have got good victories over Bayern and Man the likes of Manchester United recently as well so they're picking up good wins but this is going to be another very tough game for them Spurs come into the match in good form themselves unbeaten since the opening day of the season only team to be able to uh, to boast that record they've lost only one Premier League game all season only Leicester can match that record as well even the likes of Man City of uh, Arsenal Manchester United the other teams perhaps challenging for the title have lost more games than Tottenham this season so it's been a fantastic start to the campaign for them Last time out, 3-1 winners against Aston Villa. Not many people would have been backing against them considering Villa's form and the fact that they were out of manager going into that game. But still a good victory. They needed to do the job. They got the 3-1 win, went 2-0 up, allowed Aston Villa back into the match a little bit with that, the goal they got back through AU. But Villa, they never really looked like getting a second goal back equalising. Tottenham would have wanted the cushion. They've, they finally got that with Keynes. It was a really good finish for him to finish off a really good team move as well. That was that was, that was positive. And the likes of Lamella, Eriksen, they're looking back in good form. And they're certainly looking like a team who are working very well together. There was a, there was a few aspects of them last season. And he, probably even ever since Bale, Bale left, those new, that influx of new players, they never really looked gelled as a unit but they're starting to gel as a unit now which is very promising for Pochettino the fact that they're so hard to beat perhaps they need to pick up a few more runs in that in that time rather than just draws but the, the fact that they're so hard to beat will be promising for the team and the way things are going you'd expect them to put in a really good challenge for a top four place I think so yeah like you say it just seems to be coming together a bit for Spurs I think obviously you've got the players like Kane who really you know, shone stardom last season but then the likes of Lamella and Eriksen have been in the league you know for a couple of years now and 
they, they just seem to they, they're starting to gel and when you've got the likes of Ali coming up he looks like a very good young talent and Dembele's been on better form recently I think watching Dembele sometimes he looks like he can't really be bothered in some games but I think he's got three and three now so he's in good form for them and it's five wins in seven for Spurs now they're up to fifth in the table only five points behind uh, Arsenal and City at the top there and only one off the top four and certainly say that Spurs could mount a top four challenge this year you look at you mean people probably saying there is one space in there because of the way Chelsea have started the season. I think Chelsea are now 10 points behind the top four. So Chelsea would need a really excellent run, say, between now and uh, the turn of the year to really sort of get back in the in the mix. But as it stands now, you've got Spurs and Liverpool who were fifth and sixth last season. Both of them, you know, Liverpool now under Klopp, they'll be fancying a top four place. But with Spurs, like you said, unbeaten in 10 since the opening day, they'll fancy that top four spot as well. So it could be a really interesting race there because you have to say that even though United haven't been great of late, they still look fairly you know, set for a top four spot. And Arsenal City, obviously, the league leaders at the moment. So Spurs looking good. And the only thing with them is their recent record against Arsenal isn't great. They've already played this season in the League Cup uh, third round, which Arsenal won. And they've only won once on their last 22 trips when they've gone to, gone to face Arsenal. So it's a really poor record on the road. They've, they've had some better results in recent derbies at White Hart Lane you know, last season with those uh, that cane brace and that excellent derby at White Hart Lane. But in recent games at the Emirates and Highbury, they haven't won many games. It's obviously a huge game for both sides. Which way do you see the Bragamites going? It really could go either way. I mean, this is probably Spurs's, you know, sternest test. You know, maybe since the opening day at United. I mean, they've had some tough games. Obviously, beat City at home. That was a huge win for them. But on the road at Arsenal with the poor away record, I think this is a really tough game for them. And the way Arsenal are going, I think I'm going to back them just to edge this one-two-one. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Even if Arsenal, as expected, don't get anything out of the Bayern Munich game, then that wouldn't dampen their spirits too much in the league. They're doing very well. I completely agree with the 2-1 scoreline as well. So we're both going for Arsenal to win this derby by one goal. And finally, we're off to Anfield for Liverpool's match against Crystal Palace. Barney starting with the home side last time out first league win under Klopp. Yeah, big one to get that under your belt, especially at Stamford Bridge. Was Liverpool and Chelsea probably been two of the biggest rivals around in the last 10 years or so. For, so for Klopp to get that first victory at Stamford Bridge endears him even more to the fans, as, as if he could be more endear, endearing to the fans at the moment. But yeah, back-to-back victories for him now after that one in the, uh, over Bournemouth in the League Cup as well. That wasn't the most convincing result, but a lot more convincing against Chelsea it was. Didn't get off to a good start. Obviously, Ramirez opening the scoring within four minutes. Nightmare start for Liverpool. But then, you have to say, Chelsea were to blame for sitting back and letting Liverpool take the game to them. Chelsea of last season probably wouldn't have done that. And We've talked in length about Chelsea's struggle so far this season. So, they were there for the taking to an extent. Liverpool, you'd have to say, they got a, they got a slice of luck, perhaps, of, you know, in due time going over for Coutinho to get that goal just before the break that was a pivotal moment in the match and then the other two goals took deflections on the way past Begovic Lucas lucky not to get sent off for two yellow cards but at the same time Costa was lucky not to be sent off for a kick on Skirtle so there's a lot to talk about but at the end of the day it's three points for three away points had a tough place to go for Jurgen Klopp so a really fantastic result I think probably the most couple of the most important things to come out of the match is the two goals for Coutinho there's been a bit of criticism levelled at him for his performances under Klopp in particular the first couple of matches but Klopp said after the game that's the type of special player he is he can come up with those winning contributions and he is one of the, those sorts of players are few and far between he is one of them he can be a match winner when he turns it on the first goal was a fantastic strike with his left foot the second goal as we mentioned got a bit of luck over him for the deflection but still he, he made that contribution and Benteke he looks like he could be a real threat under Klopp he Klopp does like his target man you think of Lewandowski at Grisha Dorman and Venteke he hasn't been fully fit under Klopp yet he hasn't um, he's usually come off the bench and he's got goals off the bench as well so if he can get get his full fitness going and get started matches it's really positive signs but it's a good victory for Klopp they're still unbeaten under Klopp after those um, three draws to start off with so 
Life's good for them at the moment. It is, yeah, and you look at where they are on the league table. Now, they're seeing eighth there. They're eight points off the top. I mean, certainly, I know that Man City and Arsenal haven't really run away with the league yet, but you certainly say that Liverpool, they're not title contenders yet. It's been a good start on the club, you know, unbeaten, like you said, but I think more important is the top four. That'll be the target this season, where they are now, you know, four points off the top four. You probably say, I mean, United haven't looked great of late. You probably say City and Arsenal look fairly well set for a top four finish, but maybe they can get into one of those two spots there, especially with Chelsea doing so badly. Obviously, that uh, win at Stamford Bridge obviously hurt them even more last week. And I think certainly Klopp, I think he'll be eyeing up the League Cup as maybe an early chance for the Cup success there. They drew Southampton away in the quarterfinal there. That's a really tough draw there. Obviously, Southampton, they'll be really keen to go on a Cup run. It's been a long time since they won a competition. It's, it was certainly one of the more difficult draws they could have got, but certainly a winnable game still. And I think one thing Klopp has to do is really more wins at Anfield. That's so important for them because you know, Anfield, when it's rocking, it's one of the best stadiums in the country. We know that. One of the most historic grounds there is. But they've only won two of their last six Premier League home games there, drawing two, losing two as well. They haven't been all that consistent at home this season. You know That, that win against Bournemouth in the League Cup they had at Anfield, that was 1-0 against a Bournemouth side who we know who are struggling this season. So just needs, I mean, that win at Stamford Bridge, 3-1 there, that was a really stirring performance, especially coming from behind, like you said. And if they, they just need something like that, like a really... Uh, impressive performance, maybe scoring a few goals like this. They've got a chance here against Palace at home, but I think they just really need some sort of a really encouraging home performance. It's going to be, I think, quite difficult against Palace because we're co- recording this before their Europa League match on Thursday and they've got a long trip over to Ruben Kazan for that game. So it's, it's the, there's likely to be a bit of a hangover from that. There usually is, um, and usually the, the trips aren't nearly as long as the one to Kazan. So it's going to be tough for Klopp to overcome that one, especially as he's been hit by so many injuries already. We know Sturridge has been out, uh, Ings is out for the season, Gomez out for the season, Flanagan's been out forever, so it seems Henderson's still out. So he's missing some key players in the squad. Hopefully Benteke will be back to full fitness and be able to stay fit for a while, as I mentioned earlier. But those injuries aren't going to help with instances like this Europa League we often talk about it as a drain on the um, on the Premier League ambitions of a side and that could prove to be the case this weekend that'll be the worry for Klopp especially coming against the Palace team who've been a bit of a bogey team for them of late you know they haven't beaten them in the last five they lost the last three you think back a couple of seasons ago when it looked like Liverpool were going to win the title and they blow that three goal lead to draw, to draw three all that's the game that sticks out but last season I think it was 3-1 at Selhurst Park um, with Yednak getting that free kick to to kill to kill Liverpool off so it hasn't being a, a good team for Liverpool to face and with the rigours of European football as well a trip over to Russia it's going to be a difficult one I think for them mm. so Palace yeah bogey team in recent years but they don't enter this game in good form particularly Palace they've dropped to 10th recently not some not great results last weekend they hosted Manchester United and obviously getting a draw against United isn't the worst result by any stretch of the imagination but they weren't they weren't at their best in that game I didn't think and it was a bit of a nothing game I think a draw was the right result Palace went closest to getting the goal when Balassi hit the bar it was a great shot from him so 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 unlucky the way it cannon back off the bar but Apart from that, wasn't really too much in the game for Palace. They're struggling for goals at the moment. But you look at their recent form, one point out of nine. They're not really doing enough at the moment to sort of sustain where they were at the start of the season. You know, they were right there in the top four at the start of the season. But they haven't really done much recently. Sitting there 10th. It's still, after 11 games, it's still a decent start from them from Palace. But they have sort of tailed off a bit. And they'll certainly be looking for a win here. Because, you know, they they have had some good away wins this season. And they might fancy it at Anfield. Yeah, I think the thing they need to sort out is up front. Because we, we talked earlier in the season at length about the likes of you know, Zahar, Balassi, uh, Sacco coming in, really good attacking, uh, exciting, counter-attacking players, but they haven't got enough goals really to, to warrant those those players and 
for how good those players are on the break and the chances they create. Haven't got enough goals. I think uh, they've only scored four in the last seven Premier League games. Three of those have been from penalties from Johan Kabay, who's who's obviously been a very good uh, purchase for them. But they they don't want to be relying on him as their main goal scorer at the moment. So they need to improve in that respect. They do have a good record against Liverpool, as I mentioned earlier. They've scored three in each of their last three meetings against Liverpool, which, considering Liverpool are one of the big boys, is a fantastic record for Palace, who until fairly recently have been battling against relegation. So that's a good record. Also won nine of the last 13 Premier League games under Alan Pardew. We know how good they are away from home. We mentioned it just then, but they have lost their last two in all competitions. They've lost three of the last four in all competitions away from home. So perhaps signs of that, that away record are worsening at the moment. But as I mentioned, the type of players they've got, they're always going to be a threat on the break if, if their home team has got the most possession, which you presume Liverpool will have. So which way do you see this one going then? It's a difficult one to pick. That Palace away record is hard to ignore and the Liverpool rigours of European football I think could have a crucial impact on the game. Liverpool do seem to be building up a bit of momentum. I think I'm just I'm going to go for a narrow Liverpool victory here 2-1 but I wouldn't be too surprised to see a draw. So one, yeah, I think Liverpool will win this as well. Palace, they haven't been very convincing in recent weeks and I think Liverpool, even though they've got that trip to Russia, I think they should still have too much. I'm going to go for a 2-0 home win. So both back in Liverpool to win this one. Okie doke, that's all 10 games covered. We'll have live coverage of each game on sportsmore.co.uk throughout the weekend. We won't be here next week because of the international break, so we'll see you in two weeks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.